everybody. This is Bitch Breathe, the podcast, and my name is Ricardia. Welcome back to a new edition. And I don't know what took me so long to get to this particular subject, but here we are, the mom guilt. So why is this coming up for me now? Well, last week, given it's a pandemic right now, we're here in Berlin, we're in lockdown, we're experiencing a lot of the things that many people across the world are experiencing to different degrees. So last week, I spoke to coincidentally three different moms, uh, those who are in relationships, those who aren't, but all of them with children who are still school age. And I don't know why I ended up talking to them all in this same week, but there was one theme that just wouldn't go away while we were talking, and I just felt like it was time to address it, and that was the whole mom guilt, which is obviously the title of this episode. So going back, way back, my son's already grown right now. Um, I have to guiltily admit I'm really relieved he's not in a, in a school age right now, at a school age right now. So after I gave birth to him, and when you're talking about birth and preparing for it, there's often this talk of the afterbirth, you know, that yucky stuff, um, or not yucky, but you know, not exactly appealing in an aesthetic way that comes out after the baby. Now, whereas we all think this is all sorts of um, fibers and and uh, blood and whatever else is coming out there, that is true. But sometimes for me, it felt like the afterbirth was guilt. Like right after my son slid out there, the guilt piggybacked on top of him and came right out after. And suddenly this became a theme in my life. Uh, not always super dominant, but always somehow low-grade parallel pulse kind of feel that there's um, something you're doing wrong, something that society feels you're doing wrong, that traditions before you have, doing, have been doing wrong, and that you can't quite um, manage uh, neither other people's opinion of it, that what you're doing, uh, nor your own. And so when I spoke to my friends last week, and this came up over and over again, I thought it's time to talk about this. And I named the uh, episode Mom Guilt, because I don't know how the dads feel. I've not heard a single dad um, complain or or cry or lament his situation so far. Uh, I have a few thoughts on why, but it's not going to be about this. So dads, you can stay here. It's going to be peaceful. I will be peaceful. Um, so I'm talking to the moms, my other moms, myself and and you gals out there. So first of all, I wanted to say something about the different kind of situations there are, right? There could be those of you who are separated from the fathers or other mothers there, are those who are still in a relationship. But the ones I've been speaking to recently, it, it didn't really matter because they were stuck with most of the work that is now on top of them during the pandemic. So besides having jobs, which many of them did, some of them were homemakers and had this job, um, but some had jobs sort of outside and careers where they had to answer to uh, deadlines from other people and it didn't matter which situation, which setup it was, they all felt left alone 
with this and that they weren't doing the schoolwork with the kids that they needed to do. Some of them just said, listen, I'm just going to forget this year. Fuck it. Um, there's no way I'm going to be able to fill in the gaps here. I, I know for myself, please, if you started having me do calculations like percentages and stuff, <laughs> I would have to fold right away. Plus, I never had any um, patience for it. And that is something I really noticed is that these moms were saying, I don't have the patience. I don't know how to balance this out. I'm constantly in overwhelm mode. And one of them particularly was crying to me on the phone. She said, all I seem to do these days is yell. All I'm doing is yelling. And so my question kept being is, well, what is the father of the children or the co-parent doing? I, are you able to rope them in. And I got different answers. Mostly, they also have this situation where they're working, but somehow they're not shouldering a lot of the uh, work that is arising now due to the pandemic. They're under different pressures, surely. But what I noticed was the moms are feeling all this guilt on top of like the career or the homemaking and all this care for the children. And I just kept wanting to say, listen, you're the one who stayed, whether this is after a separation or just stayed at home with the kids during homeschooling. You're the one who stayed. You're the one who's going to get all the blame, by the way, pandemic or no, it will happen. Um, whether it's your kids who, this is my experience now, when they're older, tell you, listen, you didn't do that very well, and it's your fault that I'm doing this, that, or the other. Or it's your partner who says, well, maybe you're stressing yourself too much, or why don't you get a someone who can help you out if financially that's possible, or whatever it is, know that for some reason, not only do we feel guilty or or find ourselves in a state of guilt, there's always someone who's going to blame you. It's probably going to be you a lot, but it could be anyone. It could be your parents who think you're not doing right, your children, society, politics, your partner, whoever it is. As a mom, for some reason, it's like, hey, um, I'm a mom now, so if you've got any old shit you want to lay on me, I'm right over here. <laughs> Just fill my vessel with all the stuff that is going or was going wrong in your life. This does happen. So... This is where our responsibility comes in. We have to reject the blame. That doesn't mean we don't look at our responsibility of what is going wrong or where we can improve. But first and foremost, shut the blame game down. Just shut it down. Whoever is doing the blame, ask them to come back and use a different sound of voice if it's your kids, if it's your partner, or if it's society, whoever it is. You make the decision whether you want to take on this blame or not. That is the part where you are empowered, where we can actually say, you know what, you might be right, but I'm doing the best I can. You might be correct in trying to improve whatever work it is I'm doing here. But unless you're going to help me out, unless you are that village that it takes to raise this child and help me the fuck out with what I'm doing here, I'm not going to take on your comments. And I found that super helpful. And you remember when Hillary Clinton said it takes a village. It fucking does. It does take a village. And if everyone in the village is just being passively aggressive or blaming you for all that's going wrong, then this is not your village. <laughs> Find a different village because this one isn't helping you out. 
So that was my first uh, one that, as you probably noticed, I feel very strongly about because it occurs so often and we feel so defeated sometimes when people just lay all the blame on us and we feel like we're a bad person or worse, a bad mom. So just sort of rejecting this blame game and just saying, you know, let's talk about this another time when you've also thought about how difficult this is for me. We have to say this to our children as much as we do to our partners and friends and family. Related to that, I want to say one more thing. Just because somebody blames you doesn't mean that you did something wrong, and it doesn't mean that it's your fault. Again, I'm not telling you to run away from responsibility, but I really don't feel like I have to send that disclaimer ahead because I don't know all too many moms who run away from their responsibilities. I see the ones who are sort of buried by them. So just a little friendly reminder from one mom to the other, just because someone blames you doesn't mean you're wrong or that everything about you is wrong. Another thing I noticed in all my years of raising my son was that I had all these ideas of how I was going to raise him, who this human being was going to be, um, how I was going to shape him. And you've probably noticed this if your kids have started to become older, let's say teenagers, you may be lucky or no, successful in instilling two to three of those core values. Or if you're homeschooling right now, you know, two or three of those subjects, lessons, things to learn. But I'm here to tell you it's okay to say goodbye to the rest because, quite frankly, you can't keep the bar that high all the time, especially if you're in overwhelm like so many moms are right now. You're not going to be able to do it. And the only thing you're going to reap from trying is exhaustion And guess what? You're still going to get blamed and criticized for what you're doing. So you might as well just focus on those two or three values, priorities that are super important to you and that you feel like if you failed at instilling those in your children, you really would feel badly about it. And that's what it was for me. Most of the other things went out the window (laughs) and the verdict is still out whether I managed the raising of my child very well. He's 21 now. So let's see about that. Another thing I noticed in my work as a mom, my labor of love, if you will, was that I had this own misconception that being a mom meant I had a mandate for perfection. Um, This goes a little bit further even as being a woman who raised her kid in the uh, early 2000s and 210s where um, there was also this idea it wasn't going to be enough to be a mom and a homemaker. I didn't want to be because I would have lost my mind if I hadn't been able to work outside my home. But not everybody's like that, right? And I felt it wasn't going to be enough. I had to be, uh, you know, looking 20 or something years old, even though I was exhausted. I had to have a career you could tell your your parents or your um in-laws about, for example. I had to look like I'm managing everything. I had to be every woman, right? And again, that was me taking on all these expectations or perceived expectations even. So this expectation of perfection is something that totally fed into my own predisposition of wanting to do everything perfectly. And in my conversations with my moms last week, I noticed the same thing. They're like, how am I supposed to put in all these school hours? And then I have a board meeting. Um, Some of them are in very high up um, leadership positions. And so they're balancing these two things. And 
it, it's just sort of interesting that they think they have to do all this perfectly. And so again, I asked, well, what is the other person doing? And what I noticed is that some of the moms, they're not demanding the partner to carry some of the burden. They're, they think they're quicker doing it by themselves. They're better doing it by themselves, all of which may or may not be true. But the truth is, if we don't demand the help from the other person, from the co-producer of this situation, then that is where maybe we should be looking, right, for assistance and for um, help. Because you can't ask anyone more easily than the partner and the family. But if you think you do everything so well and so much better, then they're not going to offer the help. It's not even help. It's a responsibility. But they're not even going to integrate themselves into that process anymore because they're going to feel like she thinks I can't do it right anyway. And so I won't do it at all. I noticed this, especially when my son was a baby. I kept sort of taking him away from his father. I'm like, let me do it. That was my mistake. I set the tone. And from that point forward, at some phase along the line, his father rightfully didn't really uh, install himself in the process anymore because he felt he was only going to be yelled at anyway. And I have some nice news there. It was one friend. She was in a very similar situation. She's super dominant. She does do things very well. But she finally said, you know what, I can't do the homeschooling. I'm just going to let my partner do it. And she thought it was going to be a total failure from the from the get-go. She thought it was going to be a non-starter, that the kids wouldn't respect him anyway. And it's not true. He's actually a lot better at homeschooling these kids than she was. And she has stopped yelling. So really sort of asking ourselves to stop having this mandate of perfection and to look around, who is it I can bring into this co-responsibility? Because chances are there is someone who should be answering that call. Once the kids are older, maybe they're going to school or they're even older than that, I notice that politics won't help you either unless there's a lot of women in these politics, in these governments, Senate, Congress, whatever it is. Over here, it's a parliament they're not, it's all lip service. They don't know a lot of times what it means because they have wives at home (laughs) taking care of the children. So all these ideas of, you know, new laws, and I'm noticing this in a country that's wealthy, that's super, super privileged, and that does pay attention to equality and um, closing the pay gap and all these things. But the truth is, underneath all this sort of, Mm, lip service about how we're going to change things for families, support single moms, support children. There's nothing because they're not in that situation. They've got their wives at home. How many single dad politicians do you know? Mm, Exactly. I can't think of a single one. And that is where we need to get active. So if we feel we have some time, if we hear a call to step into this whole idea of doing it all alone and being guilty about it, feeling badly about it, then maybe it's really, even if you don't see yourself as a politician, it's time to look into it. What about taking on leadership roles in company? I remember Sheryl Sandberg had started at Facebook and she didn't even realize how far the parking was for her who was by now super pregnant until she was super pregnant and had to walk like half a mile to get to the office. And only then did the pregnant mom parking space that was directly outside the building uh, get built. Didn't happen before then. So 
I realize I haven't become a politician, so I can't tell you to become one. But I am thinking of ways where we can infrastructurally and systemically contribute to a situation where we're not doing it all alone and where people recognize the kind of work we're doing so we can stop feeling guilty about not managing it all because that is not our job and our guilt, I've said this in a previous podcast, serves absolutely nobody, not our kids, not ourselves, not anyone. That whole idea um, of nothing happening until we step into the politics, <laughs> just sort of as an afterthought, the same goes for the PDA. You got parent-teacher conferences unless you have... Um, Actually, it's the other way around. Sorry, I wanted to make a, a different point. Here, it actually helps a lot when the men show up for the parent-teacher conferences. I've had both. I've shown up by myself as a single mom, totally overwhelmed. And then I got married and I had a new partner. There was no comparison between the two situations. Suddenly, I was being respected. I was being talked to in a way that felt someone was acknowledging that A, I was there and B, that I had something to say. And so I'm not saying get married just so you got a guy on your on your side. That's not what I mean. But I've noticed that when men show up to the parent-teacher conferences, when men install themselves in traditionally female arenas, stuff gets done. It's unfortunate, and it doesn't necessarily have to do with how great the men are, although it can. It has to do with our internal sexism, I think, that we still think, oh, really, you know what, only a man is going to get this job done. And I saw it in the teachers. Sorry, they were female, mostly. And I saw it in uh, other mothers around that when a guy was there, they felt like, great, now we're really going to get stuff done. So uh, it was a moment for me to check my own sort of internalized sexism. But um, that's how it is. Get the guys, get the co-parents, the male co-parents, get them on board into the schools, into the after-school programs, whatever it is, because it just helps. Whether that is a good thing or not, I'm not here to judge it, but it just helps to get stuff done. And lastly, this is my most, most important point that I feel like I can't stress enough and that I'm actually seeing in some places, but in many I'm not. If you have a boy child, if you have several boy children, for the love of goddess, raise them as feminists. Do. In Germany, feminism has a weird connotation. Men don't want to be called feminists. They, they think you basically said something in incredibly indecent, which normally they might enjoy, but in this case, they don't. Um, but I mean it. Raise boys who don't even think about whether women should have the same rights or should be paid the same or whether they're the ones who stay at home when a child is born, when they have a, their own family. Raise boys who are feminists. I cannot begin to imagine, myself even, what that must be like if we raise a whole generation of boys, several generations of boys now, who help out. But that is the a really powerful idea to me is that if we raise boys who don't even come into contact with this idea that they can just lean back while somebody else clears the table or takes care of the children or whatever it is that is done, that can be an amazing game changer, I think. And even my son corrects my own internalized sexism sometimes. And I love it because in Germany, we have gendered uh, language. A woman is connoted or the word for woman for female um, 
uh, endings uh, different from male. So you've already got a linguistic barrier, a linguistic sexism, if you will. And even he corrects me now, right? Which I think, oh, thank God, you know, that doesn't mean he's perfect or he's this great little, you know, perfected mommy project that I put out there. But at least there's an awareness. Because to be honest, in men my age and older, like 40s and up, I'm not seeing it. I'm seeing some lip service. I'm seeing some who are willing to listen, which is really, really great. That's all it really takes sometimes. But many of them, there's no awareness. There really isn't. And if you ask them, do you believe in equality between men and women? They'd probably say yes. If you ask them, are they a feminist? They'd say no. If you asked about um, them taking on the woman's name, if this is even a thing still, why take anybody's name after getting married, then they'll say, well, no, that's not a feminist. That's someone who's still caught up in old patterns. So this is a call to all of us to raise our boys or children who identify as male as feminists so that we can finally, finally create a major shift in what I think is now called this Aquarian age. Alrighty. So I think there's a lot to be said, especially about the last point in raising feminists. I might get back to that subject. I'd love to hear your opinions, however, and even more, I'd love to hear some of your experiences. How is it going? How are you feeling with everything that is going on right now? Um, have you managed to get a support network or are you one of us who's trying to balance and be all? women in one person. Would love to hear from you. You can write to me at bitchbreathe at gmx.com or join us on the Facebook group, which is also called Bitch Breathe. And I look forward to hearing from you. Oh, and please share if you enjoyed what you heard anywhere where you get your podcasts. Thank you and stay well. Stay well.